SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up on your program this Friday, September 29, we look back at what has been a very busy week for the yes and no campaigns on the upcoming referendum on Indigenous Voice to Parliament. As prominent yes campaigners stepped up their rallies across the country calling for a yes vote. Also on NITV Radio today, we have a conversation with uh, Jessica Mumford, winner of an accolade for her work as a teacher across remote First Nations communities on your new country. Also in the program today, as the 2023 Kuri Knockout kick off today, we preview the 2023 tournament with the Over the, Dot, Over the Black Dots Bordella Cruise. In our conversation, we also look back at the 2023 Queensland Marie Carnival, which wraps up today. All these stories and more coming to you on NITV Radio after the latest news. Bertrand Tungandami, I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first This bulletin, historic win for traditional owners as a court throws out Woodside's seismic blasting approval. The Disability Royal Commission's final report set to be published to be publicly released. And Australia observes National Police Remembrance Day. Traditional owner is elated after successfully challenging Woodside Energy's plan to begin seismic blasting off Western Australia as part of its Scarborough gas project. But the head of Australian energy producers has called on governments to develop better regulations that provide clarity and certainty for the industry. Traditional custodian Raylan Cooper, a Modunera woman, filed for a judicial review in August of the regulator's decision to approve Woodside's blasting plan. The challenge argued the National Offshore Petroleum Safety and Environmental Management Authority made a legal error. Federal Court Justice Craig Colvin agreed. Despite finding Woodside's legally required consultation with First Nations stakeholders was inadequate, approval was given for the seismic testing to begin with a condition for further consultation. Ms. Cooper says the victory is significant. This is our time to start thinking of the future for us all. Every single soul and heartbeat that walks this planet. Because what's going on out at Murujuga? What's going on in the Ngura, our Ngura, in the Pilbara, the Kimberleys, um, the eastern states, 
it doesn't stop just here today. It's continuing all the time. I just feel this win is really for everybody. A study led by MIT University has found a significant gap in digital inclusion for First Nations people compared with other Australians with remote communities among the worst affected. The study has found that 45.9% of First Nations participants are highly excluded from access to things like mobile phone or internet access compared with 94.4% of the general Australian population. The research, the first time that First Nations digital inclusion has been measured nationally by remoteness, has found accessing digital technologies is most challenging in remote communities due to poor communications infrastructure and household access, as well as patchy congested mobile services. Lead investigator and MIT Senior Research Fellow Dr. Daniel Featherstone says that with essential services increasingly moving online, more needs to be done to make sure all Australians have digital access. Government are deliberately transitioning to online service delivery by 2025. All your MyGov and your banking and your and your Centrelink payments, all the billing and um, information that you need nowadays and particularly in remote communities where there aren't those face-to-face services that other people take for granted, being online is, is critical to be able to access essential services. The Biennial Ilamunda Indigenous Performing Arts and Storytelling Festival has kicked off in Sydney. The festival showcases local and international First Nations voices in the performing arts, aiming to Aiming to create a platform for Indigenous artists to connect and share stories, the festival is now celebrating its 10th year. Festival director Lily Shearer says the festival offers opportunities for the exchange of knowledge and experience across diverse First Nations communities. Those exchanges are really important to us as, as colonised countries. Um, we A lot of our trauma and, and comes and our, through our stories and that is healing for our people and that makes our people stronger it also um, helps break down it helps build relationships with non-aboriginal people to understand our point of view where we're coming from i think that's really really important a disability advocate says many australians are in for a massive shock when the government unveils the long-awaited findings of the disability royal commission today About 10,000 Australians delivered evidence through written submissions, private sessions and public hearings over more than four years. People with Disability Australia Board President Nicole Lee says she's waiting for the report to be made public but adds the final report is unlikely to surprise those living with disabilities. Shadow Defence Minister Andrew Hesty has criticised a plan to relocate troops to northern Australia as part of the Albanese government's reforms of the Australian Defence Form. Defence Minister Richard Mars announced generalist units will be restructured as specialist light, armoured and motorised combat brigades with hundreds of soldiers moving north to bases in Darwin and Townsville. The move would see soldiers relocated from from bases in Brisbane and Adelaide moved further north, although Adelaide will later see a new brigade set up to focus on long-range firing capabilities, air and missile defence. Mr. Hesty says that with the ADF facing ongoing retention and recruitment issues, the plan could potentially alienate current serving members if forced to relocate.
One of the biggest challenges facing the Australian Defence Force is the recruitment and retention challenge. Defence is competing with the private sector for workers, for people who serve our country. And so relocating people from Adelaide where they're settled with their families, I think we'll see uh, a lot of retention issues in the next few years. The make of an army helicopter. The make of a NAMI helicopter involved in a fatal training exercise will be pulled from service more than a year before its intended withdrawal date. Defence Minister Richard Miles confirmed the MRH-90 Taipan helicopters won't return to flying as part of Australian Defence Force operations. It's really the only decision that makes sense. We had made clear that we wouldn't be flying these aircraft again until the investigations were completed, that we understood what had happened and we'd made any rectifications that needed to occur. There are now four investigations on foot. Already one of them's made clear that it will take 12 months for them to reach their conclusion and we were planning to uh, retire the Taipans at the end of next year anyway and so there is no world should be flying these helicopters again. The helicopters were scheduled to be withdrawn from service in December 2024. The early phasing out of the Taipan follows a crash off the Queensland coast in July which killed four people on board during military drills as part of exercise Talisman Sabre. The federal government has ruled out any plans for fuel subsidy amid price surge. It follows the release of new data indicating continuing rise in cost of living with fuel costs up 9.1% in August, August, gas up 12.9% and electricity up 12.7%. Mr. Chalmers told ABC Radio National the government already has a cost of living plan. It's not something that we are currently contemplating and one of the reasons for that is we've got, I think, uh, a much better way of providing cost of living help for people. I mean, we are literally right now rolling out billions of dollars in cost of living support and we're doing that in a way that takes some of the edge off inflation rather than adding to it. It's our number one priority to deal, help people deal with these cost of living pressures Uh, and that's costing billions of dollars but it's money well spent and it's being delivered in a way that takes some of the edge off inflation without adding to it. Australians will have better privacy protections and small businesses will need to invest more in data security under proposed laws flagged by the government. Concerns over complex and lengthy privacy policies that lead to Australians simply ticking the box to get their product or service without reading disclaimers have prompted Attorney General Mark Dreyfus to agree in principle to undertake reforms. They include protecting against dark patterns that nudge users to consent to more privacy intrusions than necessary. The families of police constables Matthew Arnold and Rachel McCraw have remembered the day their lives were shattered when both were gunned down. Today, September 29, marks National Police Remembrance Day when services are held across the country with three officers killed on the job in the past 12 months. The third name added to Canberra's National Police Memorial this year will be that of 28-year-old Constable Anthony Woods, who was run over and killed following a pursuit in June this year. Constable Arnold, 26, and McCraw, 29, were following up a missing persons report on a remote Queensland property in December last year when they came under fire from a high-powered rifle. Constable Arnold was killed while a wounded Constable McCraw returned fire before she was also fatally shot.
and in sport, thousands of AFL fans have turned out for a motorcade procession this morning ahead of the grand final. The procession is back on Friday morning after, the, after last year's grand finalists were made to travel on boats as fans watched from the banks of the Yarra River. Many supporters said they couldn't even see the players from popular vantage points. The AFL conceded the river parade didn't allow fans the best viewing and overall event experience and the parade was brought back this year. And having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, sunny 32, Perth, partly cloudy 24, Adelaide, sunny 28, Melbourne, sunny 25, Hobart, a shower 2, 24, Albury, Wodonga, sunny 24, Canberra, mostly sunny 26, Wollongong, sunny 28, Sydney, also sunny 29, Newcastle, similar conditions, 32 degrees, Brisbane, partly cloudy 27, Townsville, also partly cloudy and a top of 27, Keynes, partly cloudy 28, Alice Springs, sunny day 26, Darwin, sunny 35, and the Torres Strait Islands, a partly cloudy day and a top of 29 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. I'm Bertrand Tungendamia and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from NAM on the Kulin Nation this Friday afternoon. Coming up next, conversation with Jessica Mumford, winner of an accolade for her work as a teacher who is making a difference in classrooms in remote First Nations communities on Yolnu country. Also in the program today, as the 2023 Kuri Knockout kick off today, we preview the 2023 tournament with over the Black Dots Border La Cruz. In our conversation, we also look at the Queensland Murray Carnival, which wraps up uh, today. But first, let's look back at what has been a very busy week for the Yes and No campaigns on the upcoming referendum on Indigenous Voice to Parliament, as prominent Yes campaigners stepped up their rallies across the country calling for a yes vote. Following no campaigner Warren Mandin's speech at the National Press Club on Tuesday, September 26, Wednesday, September 27, was yes campaigner Noel Pearson's turn to address journalists in Canberra. Penry Buckley reports. Leading supporters of the yes campaign have been out in droves rallying, flyering and participating in community sessions across the country. Greens leader Adam Bant and former Minister for Indigenous Affairs Ken Wyatt handed out flyers for Yes 23 at North Melbourne Station on Wednesday morning. Minister for Indigenous Affairs Linda Burney led a rally in Bendigo, with Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles out campaigning in Strathfield and campaign director Dean Parkin door-knocking in Cairns. The No campaign was more low-key, after leading campaigner Warren Mundine's speech at the National Press Club in Canberra on Tuesday. In the second press club speech by a prominent No supporter, after Senator Jacinta Nampajimpa Prices earlier this month, Mr Mundine did not avoid controversy, describing the Uluru Statement from the Heart as a symbolic declaration of war. The Uluru Statement couldn't be further from the idea of reconciliation. The full manifesto is steeped in grievance. It sees Indigenous Australians as trapped in victimhood and oppression, not free or able to make their own decisions, 
Self-determination is an unrealised aspiration. This is a lie. Mr Mundine has accused the Albanese government of wanting to put racial segregation back into the constitution through the Voice's constitutionally enshrined advisory body on issues affecting Indigenous Australians. He says Australians will have a choice when they vote on October the 14th. A choice of what kind of nation we want to be. Do we want Australia to be a liberal democracy where all people are equal, where all Australians can reconcile and moving ahead united as a country? Or do we want to be a country where people are divided by race, permanently in conflict with each other over facts of history that cannot be altered? There has been disagreement among prominent No supporters about how they will pursue reconciliation should the Yes vote fail. Mr Mundine has said that a No vote will make it easier for Indigenous Australians to negotiate a treaty, while Ms Price has opposed the treaty and has yet to back the idea of constitutional recognition. Opposition leader Peter Dutton, who has previously said the Liberal Party will support constitutional recognition, has refused to comment further on exactly what kind of reconciliation he wants to see. In Alice Springs uh, and Tennant Creek and Laverton, Leonora, uh, in those communities that are most uh, acutely impacted, uh, I want to make sure that uh, uh, those young kids can, can lead a life that we would expect our kids to, to lead in a capital city uh, or in a regional town. Uh, I want there to be an opportunity for those kids to, uh, to go into a good job. Uh, I want industry and uh, the business sector to prosper there so that there can be a thriving economy so that people can afford to buy houses. Wednesday saw leading Yes campaigner Noel Pearson address the National Press Club. Mr Pearson was in Arakun during Mr Mundine's speech, before remote voting began in the Queensland community on Tuesday after starting across the nation on Monday. He has called for The Voice to operate at a local and regional level so that the concerns of communities like Arakun can be heard properly. Mr Dutton says that Mr Pearson has contributed to uncertainty about what The Voice will be leading to declining support for the Yes campaign. Uh, you've got Mr Pearson coming out with a different version of what the voice would be uh, every other day. How the Yes case can argue to the Australian public uh, that you can have a design of the voice taking place after the vote on the Saturday, um, it would make more sense to me uh, to have designed the voice so that people can understand what it is they're being asked to vote for. In Canberra, Mr Pearson responded to Mr Mundine's war rhetoric by urging Australians to vote yes out of a civic love of country. He says that the voice represents a safe middle path for the relationship between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. Voting yes is a rejection of confected war. Voting no is not a neutral choice. Voting no is an active choice to take us nowhere. Voting no leaves us suspended in the Neverland that exists when two peoples love the same homeland but have not yet learned to love each other. Mr Pearson responded to concerns that the Yes campaign might not be resonating with Australians from multicultural backgrounds because of concerns about The Voice's constitutional safety. He says that the proposal is constitutionally safe and that a successful Yes vote on The Voice could provide a unifying moment for all Australians. We can move to an Australia where the indigenous, the British descendants and the multicultural mob become one. And we all know we're Australians. 
There's no priority among us. We're all equally Australians. It'll be a great day when we do that. He also gave his elevator pitch on the proposal, which he says he has used to win over undecided voters. Firstly, there's a recognition clause, you know. It is going to be the one line of poetry in the what is otherwise a barren, dry rules of cricket, um, because it speaks to our history. Secondly, there shall be a body. What is the function of the body? It is to make representations. Everybody makes representations. Miners, farmers, environmental, human rights. Everybody makes representations, and that's what the voice will do. And the thing about representations, they'll listen to you, but there's no guarantee they're going to follow you all the time. And um, and what about about matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples? Polls in the last month have consistently shown support for the voices failing. With the Yes campaign needing to make up lost ground, some of the Voice's most prominent backers were joining the push on Wednesday to increase support. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese was set to appear in Sydney alongside band the Hoodoo Gurus. And former Prime Minister Julia Gillard was speaking at the launch of the Yes 23 campaign in London to some of Australia's 160,000 overseas voters. With the referendum just two weeks away, Yes campaigner Thomas Mayo says he believes the race is closer than polls indicate. From what I know from door knocking, from leafleting at train stations and at markets and from our phone banking, there is uh, quite a, a, an even race here at the moment, but there are a lot of Australians that are undecided. Stay informed on the 2023 Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum from across the SBS network, including First Nations perspectives through NITV. Visit the SBS Voice referendum portal to access articles, videos and podcasts in over 60 languages, or stream the latest news and analysis docos and entertainment for free at the Voice Referendum Hub on SBS On Demand. Penry Buckley, SBS News. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. We must now go to a break, but when we return, conversation with a teacher who has just been acknowledged for her work making a difference for school kids on your new country. Stay with us. SBS is updating its radio schedule. From October 5, there will be more times to listen. With repeated programming on Wednesday, Friday and Saturday at 6pm on SBS 1. To find out more, visit sbs.com.au slash audio. Jessica Mumford is one of 22 educators and teachers honored at the 2023 Commonwealth Bank Teaching Awards for their dedication and innovation in education presented by Schools Plus. Jessica has just joined us on NITV radio in the sidelines of uh, receiving the accolade to run us through what it means to be recognized and also talk to us about the extraordinary work that she does and that has earned her being acknowledged. Jessica, thanks for joining us on NITV Radio and congratulations on winning a prestigious award. Thank you and thank you for having me. Which category were you acknowledged in? Yeah, so the Early Career Teacher Award is what I received. So teachers that have been teaching for less than five years were eligible to um, nominate for that award. Uh, so I'm in my third year of teaching and um, was nominated by a colleague, but 
Uh, yes, and went on to receive that award. Third year of teaching, but uh, you've uh, achieved so much in uh, this uh, short time span. So in um, your bio that you've developed individual resources for students and coordinate support for them from uh, local health agencies, we must also emphasize that uh, you teach in a particular area, a school with predominantly First Nations students. 100% actually, 100% young all students that are at Lanapoi Homeland School. So Lena Poo Homelands, we're situated in northeast Arnhem Land. We have our office in Nyirikala, but our schools are spread out across 350 kilometres of northeast Arnhem Land. So we have nine different sites and they're up to three hours drive away from our office. So we either drive, like four-wheel drive out on the central Arnhem Highway or we catch um, tiny little Cessna planes, like seven-seat planes out to community to help um, support education each week. So you would see kids hundreds of uh, kilometers from each other every day. Yeah, yeah. How do so you we nav- have how do a you big team, big team of teachers that um, do it, and we have Homeland um, Yongul Centre teachers that run school five days a week. So the Yongul teachers are there five days a week, and visiting teachers um, come in for two or three or four days, depending on how big the school is. So if there's only four students at some schools, so they only get two days of support but then the young teachers run the school for the rest of the week how does one typical school day look like uh, how does it work for you commuting and working in those uh, conditions we'll get to the airport at about seven thirty in the morning yeah. uh, and then most teachers will fly out for the week um, a few drive out to the closer homeland and then just school starts it's just a pretty regular school day um, except we have a really strong two-way curriculum we have a strong um, Indigenous languages and cultures curriculum that is run and programmed by our Yongul Homeland Centre teachers. And then Yongul Homeland Centre teachers, they help support the maths and English program too. Because when kids turn up to school in homelands, that's the first time they hear, like they use English and have to use English, um, is when they're learning in English. And so the support that we get from Yongul Homeland Centre teachers is really integral to how we can run school and really helps us to deliver those programs. So even though they only take full ownership of the um, Indigenous Languages and Cultures program, they definitely support and really run the maths and and English programs as well. It's also said uh, that uh, you use the Berry Street Education model uh, and you've developed uh, game-changing resources and uh, training for (laughs) local Indigenous teachers. What's the Berry Street Education model? So the Berry Street education model, it's used Australia-wide and in the States, actually, and UK. It's an education model that uh, helps inform teaching in a trauma-informed way. Um, A lot of students have trauma backgrounds in homeland schools, uh, have been affected by trauma in some way. And so uh, it just sets sets the theme for how we run education. So we start every day um, with a community circle which welcomes students into the classroom. We check in with how they're feeling for the day and then we um, launch into our teaching from there. It has different things with emotional literacy too, so recognising your emotions and um, recognising how, like what strategies you have to get from uh, like an angry emotion down to a calm, ready-to-learn emotion as well. The resources that we made, we've turned that ready-to-learn scale into a metaphor about water. So 
when you're in the calm water, you're in a place that you're ready to learn. But perhaps if you're in the rough seas, you wouldn't be in a place that you're ready to learn and what strategies you need to get you need to use to get back down to calm water. And uh, does uh, the water metaphor uh, resonate with them? Because they are from inland, uh, far removed from uh, the ocean. There's a range of homelands. So we've got definitely we've definitely got a few homelands that are on the sea. We've yeah. got one on an island <laughs> and a few on the bay. The guppal metaphor, the water metaphor, it was already something that was in Yongul culture to describe emotions. So it wasn't something that we were... Uh, creating a new, we were just tapping into a metaphor that Jung will already use. It's not yeah. uh, some imported concept that will be uh, yeah. far removed from uh, their thinking and uh, their way of uh, appreciating and uh, looking at, at the world. Thanks to your work and uh, the innovative uh, approaches that you've uh, introduced in your teaching uh job. Attendance has uh, also significantly increased here by uh, a significant uh, percentage from 24.5% to 75% in just one year. Yeah, so that was one particular homeland. Yeah. Um, and it definitely wasn't just the work that I've done. There was, a, there was definitely a team effort. But yeah, they increased their attendance and school availability from 25 to 75% which is something that's um, quite extraordinary for those kids right, to have more access to school, uh, but also just for that teacher to the teacher in that homeland centre to, to um, feel more prepared to teach as well. Yeah, and having received uh, this accolade, what does it mean for you and uh, where to from now? Um, for me, I get a, a full year of coaching mentorship from a mentor through Schools Plus. Yeah. Uh, and I also get money towards professional development. So professional development is quite hard to uh, access when you live in East Arnhem. And so I'll be able to um, get on a few online learnings uh, and, and do them. But then there's also yeah, a bit of money that I don't know what I'm going to do with yet, but we'll see where the year takes us. Uh, I'm interested in doing something that I can bring some young Homeland Centre teachers along with me so that we all have a learning experience. Yeah. Another question is, uh, you're not Indigenous yourself. No, no. And uh, what led you to choose to work in that uh, area specifically? You could have uh, worked as a teacher in uh, many other places across the country, but you chose that area. What uh, led yeah. you to Arnhemland? Uh, I was doing university at RMIT in Melbourne, and I had the opportunity to do an additional placement um, through uni and I, I chose Homeland School to do the placement at and I came up and just I loved the experience and I loved that um, just how full of culture uh, the classrooms were and so I had such a great time that when I um, went back home after my placement I convinced my partner that we should move to East Arnhem Land and uh, that's where we ended up. It's just, I think the biggest draw card is just the incredible people that you get to work alongside and the amazing kids that you get to work with. It just, it's just such an incredible experience that it was a no-brainer for me to come up and work here. Any specific thing or experience uh, you'd like to share with us, experience teaching in a small uh, remote community? I think the connection. Yeah, like we have such a strong connection to community because we're when we visit we live out in community yeah. and so the, yeah, just the connection that we have with not just the students but their parents and families but also community members it's just 
something that you wouldn't have in a mainstream school. Uh, and it's just such a special part of our role and a special part of the job. Uh, and it makes it, yeah, it makes it quite incredible to work in. Yeah. Now, Jessica, anything else you'd like to add uh, to our conversation? Something we may have missed that uh, you may want to bring to the attention of our listeners? I think I've said it mostly. We have such a great experience working with Yongwo and working alongside Yongwo. They're just such a big and integral part of school being able to run. We wouldn't be able to do it without our Yongwo Homeland Centre teachers and uh, just their ability to welcome us into community. And because we have quite a like high staff turnover as well, so welcoming new new teachers into community each year, and, but also um, just their flexibility to work alongside us and teach us the cultural things that we don't have any idea about. We feel so fortunate to be in this area and so privileged to be working in this in this setting. Well, Jessica Mumford, congratulations again and thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today. No worries. Thank you for having me. SBS is updating its radio schedule. From October 5, there will be more times to listen. With repeated programming on Wednesday, Friday and Saturday at 6pm on SBS 1. To find out more, visit sbs.com.au slash audio. I'm joined by Bordella Cruz to explore the 2023 Kuri Knockout. Welcome to NITV Radio, Bo. Thank you. Yeah, now we are catching up in the sidelines of uh, the Kuri Knockout 2023, a much-anticipated event. Well, a footy carnival bringing together community and uh, some of the biggest names in rugby league for 2023 edition that uh, sounds to be one of the greatest. Uh, tell us about uh, what are the highlights uh, to be expected from uh, the Kuri Knockout uh, this year. So the Kuri Knockout kicks off on the 29th of September. Uh, it's up at Tagara in the Central Coast, which is exciting getting back there again. So the women's and the men, uh, sorry, the women's and the kids will kick us off on Friday uh, and then we'll head into, um, it'll be live on, on NITV on the Saturday. Uh, and then obviously Sunday and Monday we'll start the finals. Um, so yeah, it's going to be an exciting one. It's uh, the 14th time that, you know, NITV have broadcasted the Kuri Knockout. So I'm looking forward to it. Round one uh, for the men's sides, uh, men's competition looks really, really exciting. I was just checking on social media what uh, the community is saying about the games. They very much anticipated Walgate versus uh, the senior blacks and then mm-hmm. uh, another big, big, big uh, ticket event, the Panjalung Bagel Warriors versus Kasoreya. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your view on these uh, big uh, clashes? Yeah, look, everybody loves the big clashes round one. Um, you know, it's obviously once you get knocked out of the carnival, you're out for the rest of the carnival. So it's a huge couple of games in round one. Obviously, I, I, I support WAC as well, so I can't be too biased there when it comes to them versus the Sydney All Blacks. But that's going to be a really, really big game. You've got some big names coming back into both teams. Um, so, yeah, we're looking forward to it. There's going to be some amazing skill, you know, and, it, and it's sort of going to be a lot different to what we've been watching in terms of the NRL all, all year. This is this is Quarry football. This is 
whatever you whatever's in front of you play to it and um yeah i'm just looking forward to to all of that and, and especially the women's as well Oh, yeah, some of the big names in uh, rugby will be there because uh, uh, they just can't miss uh, an opportunity to mix uh, with the community and mingle with uh, yeah, the communities and the families because without actually the communities and the families, the members of the public, well, who would they be playing for? And uh, one of the big uh, names uh, that has been mentioned that uh, is already there Heard is uh, Latrell Mitchell. Uh, can you tell us about uh, some of uh, the superstars expected at the Kurino Cup 2023? Well, we know Latrell's. He is always, um, you know, community is his biggest thing. You know, that's that's what he prides himself on. He's a, a big community man. Um, he loves his mob. So, what we're better to be at than one of the biggest Indigenous community events in Australia. Um, so yeah, Latrell's always loved him and, and you know wanted and welcomed there. So it's good to see that he gives back to that community in that way. Um, and, you know, obviously the likes of Cody, Cody Walker, Jack White, and Jesse Ramian, Nico Hines. So there's going to be so many players that are coming back there. Um, a lot of the girls uh, will be playing as well: Mahalia Murphy, Nakia Davis Walsh, you've got Kimberly Hunt, uh, who just finished up with the. Um, Prime Minister's 13 who'll be playing for Dungari so you know there's a lot of big names that are coming to the Koori Knockout which is you know so exciting but yeah for, for little ones to, to see their heroes you know if you, can, if you can see it you can be it and that's you know my motto and to be able to see them playing and coming back and giving back to community and, and getting back to the grassroots level and where it all began for them um, as you know Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people is, is so important. It's very, it's been very anticipated this event for the the whole year, and we we can't wait to kick it off on Friday. Now, what can you tell us about uh, the women's side of the competition? The women's is obviously it's going to be quite competitive this year. I think there's around 18 teams that are playing um, that have registered, which is sort of one of the biggest um, yet. There's so many outstanding players that are be going to make an appearance. I'm definitely looking forward to the Dungari girls uh, that took it out, I think, last year. Also, you know, the Wellington Wedge Tiles, they're coming back to try and defend their, their title from a couple of years ago up there at Tagara. Um, and also, uh, obviously, the Wiradjuri girls, you've got Mahali and Murphy playing in there and a few, a few absolute guns. You had a, a lot of the, the Gold Coast Titans, Indigenous players that were looking to come down um, and play as well. But, you know, fortunately for them, they're, they're playing in the NRLW Grand Final against Newcastle Knights this weekend so we'll miss them but uh, we do wish them very best of luck. I'm pretty sure their hearts and minds will be with uh, the rest of uh, the community. Now all these games, most games will be broadcast on NITV. What can you tell us about uh, the coverage on NITV this year? Yeah look all the games on Friday um, unfortunately are not on TV uh, but the results from the day will be published on NITV online. Uh, on Saturday, you can watch live on NITV, uh, Facebook Live and SBS On Demand as well. And then Sunday and Monday, you can watch it live on NITV, SBS and on SBS On Demand. So um, those are your options. It, it'll be, you know, it's all commentated. Um, you know, Field 5 is, is our big field, our main field, where the, all the commentary will be coming from. So make sure you jump online. If you can't make it to the knockout this year, jump online. Uh, watching ITV, SBS or SBS On Demand and to see all your favourite teams. 
Yeah, now we're talking about uh, the Kuri Knockout, the biggest uh, First Nations uh, festival and uh, footy carnival. And this is coming at the back of uh, another big event, this time in uh, on the other side of the border in uh, Queensland, uh, the Murray Knockout. Can you tell us a word or two about uh, this other big First Nations uh, footy festival event? Yeah, so the Queensland Murray Carnival kicked off last Friday um, with heaps of teams, men's and women's. Uh, we had, um, you know, there were some really good contenders uh, that you sort of know and had some pretty good players, the likes of Benny Barber um, showed his face and had around. Matty Bowen uh, threw on the jersey again, which was really, really good to see. Um, you know, in a couple of the other teams, you had Brinko Lee uh, from the Dolphins, uh, you know, it was it was a, it was really I suppose stacked full of NRL players uh, and a few NRLW players. So it was some really good, like really skillful um, and competitive footy over the last weekend up there at Redcliffe at KO Stadium. And um, yeah, we saw the Mungandai had brought a team up, uh, which is a little town just over the border of Queensland and New South Wales and uh, for the women's and they were lucky enough or they, they played really well to take that out against the Brisbane Natives who are the last um, three year running champions for the Queensland Murray Carnival and you have the uh, the team going to the final for uh, the men's which were Darky Connections boys from Stradbroke Island and then you also had um, the boys from Michael Purcell Memorial team, which is also known as Perga, who have all, always been strong every single year. So that team, Michael Purcell Memorial, was in um, was a tribute to the late Michael Purcell, who was a huge, um, you know, uh, person. Like he he was amazing in terms of rugby league within southeast Queensland, and uh, unfortunately he lost his life last year. So yeah, all his mates, uh, Wesley Conlon, who who's um, you know we see him every year at the Queensland Murray Carnival. The, him and those his mates all put a team together in in tribute to uh, to Michael, and they ended up winning it against Darkies Connections, um, which was really good, really lovely to see, and um, it was a great tournament overall. And then we headed into the Junior Murray Carnival, which started yesterday, and that's from under sixes right up to under twelve girls and boys, and so that's still going as as we chat now. Um, I'm heading back there today to. My kids are playing in it, so um, wow. yeah, and, and yeah, the last three days it'll be the under 14s up to the under 18s, boys and girls. So um, I'll be finishing on Friday and then heading down to the knockout on Saturday. Uh, talk about what wow, a busy week <laughs> ahead! And uh, yes, it has been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Bodila Cruz, thank you very much for bringing to us all this uh, exciting uh, footy news. Thank you. And uh, that's all from uh, us uh, this uh, Friday afternoon. NITV Radio. NITV Radio will be back on Friday with uh, more stories from uh, right across uh, the country. I am Bertrand Tungandame, thanking you for being with me this Friday afternoon. Till next time, bye for now. I'm also wishing you a beautiful weekend and leaving you with Mitch Tambo in absolutely everybody. Yes.